Morning. Morning. Glad to be here. Cedar Falls with you. If we haven't met, now's your chance. So after the service, I would love to say hello and get to know you a little bit. Um, we're going to pray for God's help here, and uh, we're going to get into Isaiah 44. Um, God, thank you for your goodness, your grace, and that you are king and that you rule, and I just pray we would see that and you would reveal, God, where it is that we are uh, trusting in other things, which would set us free from that, the folly of that. Help me, God, I feel like I've got a lot in my notes and in my mind and my heart, and I just pray you'd help me sort through all that fog and that uh, the message would be from you for your people today. Amen. Well, kind of a big day, right? First Sunday service after an election, which is semi-settled, it seems. So I actually got a full list of Trump and Biden voters here in the church. (laughs) And we're going to run them. Could you go ahead? Now, some of you might be surprised. You know, evangelical church is known for mostly being Republican. Um, But I know that we are a mixed crowd. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about that today and um, ask for God's help. Because, you know, that song we just sang, you know, I was certainly (laughs) very aware of a, you know, the dark seems to say the same as the night, and the kingdoms of you know manor and their graves and all that kind of thing. And you can really feel that way, right? If you're a Trump voter, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's all gone to you know wear in a handbasket. But let me just tell you, that song was relevant last week. The song was relevant two years ago. The song will be relevant in five years, ten years. Like the kingdoms of men, like they're just like dust in the hand of God. Okay. And it doesn't mean things can't get worse or better, depending on, you know, people that are ruling and making decisions. And they can. They can get worse or better. But the question is, what are we, what is our posture? What are we here to do? So I'm hoping that we make that clear. And let me just tell you up front what that is. And it is this. We are missionaries to a lost world. We are missionaries to a lost world. Let me just grant you the conclusion that the world and the culture is degrading. That America's not what it was. Right? That America's getting worse. That we're losing our nation. Let's just assume that's true. Let's just assume that America has been you know, a great place that's friendly to Christians. And I think there's some argument to be made for that. Christians have dominated it. Christians have ruled it to a great extent, not perfectly and not holistically. And that's shifting. Okay? The West is becoming less Christianized. I don't think we have to make a strong argument for that. Okay, let's just grant that. Therefore, how shall we live? If you were to move to Iran to be a missionary, because that's what we are, 
We are missionaries. I was just talking with Terry today. I said, I feel like I had an idea last week was stop calling people that join Redeemer members and call them missionaries. Like we are missionaries. And I think we forget that we don't have a missionary posture. But if you were to move to Iran as a missionary, would you bring guns? I mean, just think about that. So you get called by God to go and preach the gospel to a lost world and sanctioned by your church and sent by your missions organization and they pack you up and they make sure you have a box of guns. Now listen, I have guns, so this is a war, mentally, spiritually. It's hard. But that's a clarifying question for me. I'm going to Iran, and there's a peop- the culture as a whole does not love God. I was listening to a missionary this weekend on the Voice of the Martyrs who, where was he, in some Muslim country. He was in Pakistan. And he's out there gathering with people, praying, preaching the gospel, and the Muslims find out. And they call him at his house. They leave a message. They have his number. They have his address. And they say, we know who you are and what you're doing, and we're going to kill you. What do you do? Arm up. Let's kill him. Let's shoot him. He had determined already that he had laid his life down. And what they did, they kept praying. They went out in the streets and preached the gospel and trusted God with their lives. And I believe that's how God wants us to live here. And we can... I would love to sit with you and have nuanced arguments about whether or not we should have guns and this and that. Like I said, I've, I have guns. And maybe I shouldn't. What am I literally prepared to do? So this passage is about idolatry and the things we trust in. And I think it would do us well to admit that we have trusted too much in our nation and our leaders our structures they can't save they won't save and in fact it's the wrong posture imagine being in Iran again as a Christian missionary and being surprised that the government is making anti-Christian decisions that's how we act I can't believe the government is going secular They don't love God. They're not for us. Like our missional heart needs to grow. Let's just assume it's all just going to hell in a handbasket, right? The Marxists are coming. I see it. The Marxists are coming. Let's kill them. Let's shoot them. Let's shoot them.
we got to determine now. I'm listening to this pastor, and he said that he, right, that he was been interviewed, like, what are you going to do? You're getting these threats, you're getting these calls, and he said he had laid down his life. But we usually think of, like, lay down your life is like when you die. But I realized that listening to him, that you don't lay down your life until you lay down your life. Like, you lay down your life first. It's a commitment. Like, do you live that way? Do you feel that way in this country? Like, God, we are foreigners. We are exiles here. And you have called us to die for the lefties or the alt-right, the Nazis. Like, how do we live in such a way that transforms the world? One sign of idolatry that we're worshiping the nation is that we're not thinking that way. We're thinking in terms of we're on the wrong side of the gate. Right? We live in a Christian commune. We set up our own Christian social media. And we're inside the gate. And there's an enemy attacking. And we've got to defend that. Defend our land. Defend our culture. Our traditions. Rather than we're attacking the gates. Right? Which Christ sends us to go and attack the gates of the enemy with love, with sacrifice, with handing over power. I'm preaching to myself here. I'm, I get afraid, which is why I have guns. I sold my AR-15 last year. Because I literally had this vision of like, what am I going to stand out the window just plop, plop, just like plucking people? Like, like literally, hey, hey, pastor. Hey, what's up? Pop, 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 pop. Let us pray. You know, like, it's just absurd. All right, so I was like, okay, but I still got a couple nines, right? Because I'm not there yet. So I'm with you. I'm in this battle. Okay? When am I going to get to the text? I don't know. Here's the text. I want to come back to this. How then shall we live? This passage, let's start in verse um, oops, 9, is about the folly of idolatry. When we worship things other than God, it creates blindness, foolishness. And sometimes it's, well, it's impossible to see. And we just fast forward actually to the end, verse 20. It says this regarding those who fashion idols. He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? He's holding an idol, and he can't see it. That's the nature of idolatry, right? If you were making the nation your idol, it wouldn't be very easy to see. So this is where you have to ask God to search our hearts. It's not obvious. That's the nature of idolatry. It's blinding. It deludes us. And we can't say there's a lie in my right hand. There's a folly here. So let me just define idolatry. Right? Verse 9 says this, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Fashion idols. So here, if you go through the text, it's literally a man carving out little idols. Right? You heard the text read. And, and that's the way idolatry functioned back then. And it still does in many places today. My wife and I, several years ago, were having dinner with a Hindu couple. And they 
opened up their cupboard and showed us their idols. Proudly, they were like, here's our idols we worship. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, it seems like, wow, that's stunning. But see, I didn't have to open up a cupboard. Mine are sitting around the dinner table with me. I mean, seriously. It's my wife, my kids, these things I hold dear. So idols are good things that we make God things. Things we trust in. I love my family. I, they are my top idols. Number one, you have won the race to the top of my idolatrous heart, which is part of the reason I own guns. Right? Because you sit there and imagine people coming into your home and threatening your idols. This is very complex. One of my kids recently made it known to me that they feel like God is calling them to be a global missionary and to go to dangerous places like India where Christians do get killed. She's a girl. That is frightening to me. And sometimes I'm like, why did I let her read the insanity of God? Why did I lay these books before her? Why did I read to her about Brusco and Chasing the Dragon and Jackie Pullinger? Why? And I'm torn. I might look back on the day when, when she's sent, who knows, without a husband, maybe this is where my mind goes, to India, to a dangerous place, only in the care of God, unarmed, except with the gospel. And it's easier to see, right? Like if I send my kids there, then that's it. Like, or if they're sent, right? God sends them, then they, they, uh, they're in God's hands. But if they're here, they're in my hands. What if our children were missionaries here? What if they were prepared to die here, lay down their lives? It's very difficult. So his cupboard was full of idols, and my dinner table was full of idols. So... But Isaiah says it's, it doesn't profit us. The things that we delight in do not profit. Our kids are profitable. Our nation is, can be profitable. Our jobs can be profitable. These things that God gives us can be profitable to an extent, but they cannot bear the weight of the soul. The proof that you can't trust the nation is however disappointed you are in this last election. And if you're excited about this, just remember how disappointed you were four years ago. It won't last. It can't hold the soul. You were made to trust in an infinite, loving God, and even something so big as a nation cannot last. It's like dust to God. It's dust. It will not profit the soul to depend on it. It will cause angst. It will cause anger. It will cause division. It will cause infighting. I mean, the amount of pushback that I've gotten this past few months because whatever, the way I talk about politics, it's fine, you can push back, but it's, it's, a, it's to be noted that I stand up here, I've stood up here for years and preached about gender roles, for goodness sake, and sexual conduct, and all kinds of stuff, and I never get an email, but now I get emails. And I see my people biting and devouring one another, and it makes me sad. Look, I know I'm going impromptu a lot here, but let's go. 
was talking with Nick Powell this week, a former Redeemer member, church planner. He was talking about how he's trying to help his people understand that, yeah, you can vote, vote. That's fine, that's your civic duty or right in this country, like, do that. But so many of us are fighting out way out here, social media and voting, and there's so much energy and power given to that, rather than the real things that cause change in the world, which is mission and discipleship and making disciples, like putting tons of energy there. Like, if America has been a Christian nation, you know how it happened? Discipleship. Preaching the gospel. Like, you can't legalize this stuff, or you can't legislate this stuff. We have got to do the hard work of preaching the gospel, and even then, the hard work of asking God to search our hearts and look up idolatry in our hearts, because we can't see it. And fight there. Make war there. Right? We ended up joking about how, like, we should be so exhausted from mortifying the flesh that we can't barely make it to the poles. Right? We're just fighting our sin. We don't have time. But because we want to do our civic duty, we do. We finally, with all the energy we have left, we crawl to the poles and vote, right? And a face shining like an angel because we're so holy. So go vote. But man, get it in its right place. Like, preach the gospel. Like, invite people who disagree with you into your home. Unbelievers. Marxists. Oh, my gosh. Could you have dinner with a Marxist? Love them. Care for them. This is the edge. This is where God is calling us to, to, to live and to be and to trust him. Because the idols cannot save. The idols cannot deliver us. They're in our right hand. We hold them close and they cannot deliver us. And they break our hearts over and over and over and over and over again. And God is calling us to release these things. I spoke with a lady last week who said, or again, most people I talk to are on the right. Because right? that's the majority of our church. Our, our nation is going to be changed for, for the worse. And I said, yeah, it could be. I said, I guess we've got to try to find what good there could be in that. And she says, I can't imagine what good there would be in that. Now, there's folly there. You can't imagine what good. Now, you've, this woman has been in the scriptures for years. She's been listening to me for several years. Can't imagine what good would come from trial, from the destabilization of our nation. Imagine this. Imagine that the church was set free from her idolatry of the nation. And the only way it happened was because God shook it so it wasn't there anymore. Some of you are very mad at me, right? We won't let go of our idols. God in his goodness pulverizes them. What if the church was missional again? What if we went out and died for the country instead of trying to protect it for us? What if the church was revealed? What if some percentage of the church actually isn't Christian, 
We're just here because it's comfortable and it's the dominant culture. And once that goes, they're flushed away and revealed. And what's left is powerful. Does the church seem weak to you sometimes? Does it feel powerless? Part of that is because it's sidled up to power. And we read these stories and we're inspired when we listen to Voice of the Martyrs and we hear about the Chinese church and the Iranians that say, we will die. And we're inspired. And we don't see that the reason that power is there is because they have zero hope in their world. They're not trusting in their government. They're not allowed to buy guns. They've got nothing to cling to but God. Guys, I am not a courageous man. I'm preaching to you, hopefully, from what I believe is possible in Christ. To die. To die. Like lay down our lives. Like to say, when that moment comes, when we may have to lay down our lives, That happens because we already made that decision. That's what Christ did. By the time Christ got crucified, he had already laid down his life. He went in for that purpose. He went in amongst enemies. He went in to talk and sit with Marxists and alt-right people and whoever, everyone along the spectrum. Jesus went in to love them, to sit with them, to invite them, to challenge them, and then to die for them. And then he wants us to go and do likewise. And I just think we're not used to that. The church in the West is destabilized right now because we're not used to, wait a minute, we're used to having the influence. We're used to making the laws. And that's shifting now. And I get that defensive posture. And I just want us to push through that. Like that initial like, oh gosh, that's fearful and things are gonna change. It's like, yeah. Now how shall we live? How could the church of God exist in an unfriendly environment? It's the whole story. We should not be surprised by this. So again, I lament with you. I hear that. I am afraid for how my children will be raised and grow up in this country, but it's because I've got a defensive mindset. And I want to push through that. And I want to lead my family and my church in such a way that people will write books about us and say, man, they were different. We considered our lives not worthy to be fought for. This Iranian guy or this, this uh, missionary in, um, in this Muslim country in Pakistan that I was listening to, you know, he said, right when he said, I've laid down my life. And, he, and there was a plot of land next, next to uh, the church. He said, oh, my, I want my body to be buried there in that dirt so that my blood will cry out, right? My blood will cry out for the gospel of grace. And that's a vision. Some of us, our vision for our kids is just that they would just get normal jobs, be safe, and have grandkids that live in driving distance. I feel it. I want my kids to go away. I don't want my kids to go die, but I do. I don't. I'm not rebuking you. I'm fearful. 
I'm fearful. But I believe that we can overcome, that we can transcend this moment. That the Spirit of God, when, when Peter says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for Christ's sake, because the Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. That I believe His Spirit can enter us, empower us for those moments. I want, I want a church that people would write books about. Can you tell what's been on my mind? I hope you hear both things in me. I understand. But God is bigger than the boogeyman. <laughs> right? That's the whole thing. That so we have a hope that transcends. That God is shaking. This is whole, what this whole series in Isaiah has been about. Isaiah, uh, Israel's entire way of life was turned upside down. And they were sent to Babylon. Babylon, the great, the great whore, She's the, Babylon is so wicked that Babylon becomes the metaphor for evil by the time you get to the book of Revelation. And God said, you're not doing me any good in your little Christian country with your temple worship and your laws, so I'm going to destroy it, and I'm going to send you to Babylon. What possible good could there be in that? And then he tells them to seek the welfare of the city. He has lost his mind. Are you serious? So if you're out there saying this place is becoming Babylon, I don't even want to argue with you. I'll just say, great, absolutely. And that's horrifyingly frightening. Now, how shall we live? How shall we live? In fear, in retreat, in defense, or with hope, optimism, in invincible joy? That's what I'm calling us into. And I'm struggling <laughs> with that. I want you to struggle with me. So I just went about 40 different directions that I wasn't expecting to, and I hope there's some help in there for you. We're going to worship. We're going to go to Jesus, because listen, he is the true, true God, true king who reigns, who enlightens us, who reveals to us the truth, who exposes idols. He is the, the true embodiment of what it looks like to live in a hostile culture. And what he did is he entered this hostile culture and he won us. He won us over with love, sacrifice, wisdom, power. He's compelling. He transcends the world. He's, he's Christ. He's Jesus. He's merciful. He has given us a place. He has brought us in. He has shown hospitality. He has shown gospel witness. He has shown trust in the Father that transcends the world. He laid down his life. Through that, he won us. And he's saying, catch that. Live that way. Live that way. So I want to invite the response team up, the uh, band, the musicians, and we will worship. This is a time to go to Jesus in song and Thank God for music.
and because uh, it softens the heart, it reaches places that mere words can't. So I pray that we would engage in that and ask him to reveal, reveal to us where we're given over to folly and false trust. Pray that he would reveal that to us during song. We're also going to give. Many of you give online and do that regularly. Thank you. Um, in fact, I think that's the only way to give right now, right, Dirk? It's COVID safe, right? So give online if you have questions about how to do that or how finances are handled at Redeemer. I would love to talk to you about that. Um, I'm going to pray after the service, particularly be in prayer during, during worship. Like I said, hear from God. What is he saying to you? Where does he want you to release and enter into optimism and faith instead of fear? And we're going to take communion. If you didn't get a communion cup on the way in or by the entrances, and this is where we come and remember. This is the picture. There's a reason Christ keeps calling us back to remember this, right? He says, do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents his broken body. The cup represents his blood poured out. This is the picture, right? So whenever we're thinking of how we react to culture and current events and all that, we ask ourselves, is our reaction in line with Christ's reaction and how he led, which was pouring out his life unto death. And this is what he's done for us. So we embrace that as a covering, a forgiveness for all of our idolatry. He forgives me for my idolatry. Even today, he forgives me for that. And I pray that he also empowers us out of that to move forward. Just be different. Yeah. So pray with me. God, thank you for your grace, and um, I just pray we'd be captivated by it. I pray you would show us how to live in Babylon. How to seek the welfare of a city or a nation that doesn't care about you. How do we transcend this moment? How do we be conquerors? How do we not be defensive and fearful? but rooted in your love and with confidence. Like, reach out and to those across the aisle, across the street, across the city, and, and love and sacrifice, God. We want to see revival. We want to see you use your church in powerful ways. And we do pray for the nation. We pray that there would be, God, we don't, we don't want Babylon. We don't want that. We want safety, we want provision, we want children to be valued, we want life to be valued, we want, there are good things, God, that, that are good to be desired and sought. And yet you send us to Babylon sometimes. I pray you would surprise the world through the church in the West I pray that the missionaries in, the, in China would start buying books about us and reading about us and being inspired by us. And yeah. God, we love you. I pray that you would, your spirit would minister to us greatly during this time. Amen.